You know, there are some things that just, that make us feel better. There are things that make us remember better times or feel better emotionally or just different things. And, and it's different for all of us, but, you know, you, you think about to maybe your childhood and maybe going into your grandmother's house and smelling whatever it is that, that she was cooking or, or some time that you can remember feeling safe and happy at home. Um, whatever that might be, there are things that bring us comfort. Um, I know that, that one of the things that, that I always enjoyed was going to my grandmother's house, and, and I gave her several challenges over the years, and she was always ready, always ready to, to, to meet those challenges. So one thing is um, we would always have the dewberries or the blackberries that would grow behind the house, and um, I'd always been told, be afraid of snakes. And so you, you have the the, the briars there, you know, they grow on briars, and then you, you pick the, the berries, but you're supposed to be afraid of snakes too. So I'd get a handful about like this, and I'd go to her house, and I'd say, can you make me, uh, a, she called it a dewberry cobbler, can I make it a dewberry cobbler out of this? And, and somehow she would manage, and I think she had some cans of it laid in the back somewhere to kind of fill that out a little bit, but, but she was always ready. And you know, those were things that, that made me feel comfortable and happy. I knew, that, I knew that, the, that the world was right, at least in my view, because I had those things to, to, to look forward to or a place to go. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, these are Jesus's words of comfort. These are words that should get us through even some of the most challenging times that we face in life. And it is, it's intended to be comforting. It's intended to be encouraging. It's late on Thursday night, uh, and Jesus will soon be betrayed by one of his own. Now, if we knew what Jesus knew going into this, we probably would be worried about ourselves. We might be worried about our physical condition, or we might be worried about what we're going to say or what we're going to do. But instead, Jesus teaches his disciples how to live in this world of trouble and sorrow. One thing, it's important to point this out, Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, you won't have problems. When he says, in just a moment, let your hearts not be troubled, he's not saying, you know, go into this imaginary world where there are no problems, and he's definitely not saying that he's going to take all those problems away. All he's saying is that, that there's a way through this. There is a way that we can receive comfort. And so what we're going to see is that their comfort can be ours also if we love and obey Jesus. So the sermon in a sentence is, is, is this. Despite the troubles and dangers Christians face, Jesus has comforted us with his promises. I didn't say it, but we're in John chapter 14. Should have said that. Uh, John chapter 14. I'm going to read you this chapter now. John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, 
Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father." rise. Let us go from here. Okay, so as we get into this, we're going to find, I believe, three things that Jesus really tells us that is, that, that is really important for us to remember. First of all, we should not be troubled. Um, Jesus begins by telling his disciples not to let their hearts be troubled because they have finally understood that Jesus is hosting his own memorial service for them. So, it's sometime after the Lord's Supper. That's what we know. He's already instituted the Lord's Supper. Judas is gone. 
Jesus has been talking about the fact that that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be handed over to evil men. He has said this a little bit in the Gospel of John, but but we know that by this point he has made it pretty clear to them um, that, that they are about to be separated from him. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And even in this moment, what we see Jesus saying is that there are troubles Jesus was not just standing on a random day talking to his disciples. He is speaking to them on the night that he is to be betrayed, the day before he is to be crucified. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. He's not saying that there isn't trouble because he is facing great trouble, trouble that we don't even totally comprehend and understand. We know about the physical aspects of being crucified and even the other things that Jesus went through. People have went through those things. We don't know all the details about what else Jesus went through, the spiritual sacrifice that he made in order to make our salvation. That's the element that we as humans don't completely understand, even though we kind of can explain it a little bit, you know, paying the price for our sins, being, you know, abandoned by God so far as he says, my father, my my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those things we, we understand, we have words for them, but we don't know what it cost him physically and emotionally. We don't know what he went through. And Jesus did know what he was going through. But yet he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And so what he's saying here is, look to your faith. Find comfort, find strength in your faith. So although to us, uh, troubled may not sound like a strong word, the disciples were shaken to their core. and They didn't know where to turn. So as we've looked across a couple of passages here lately, it would say Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And now he's telling the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. And we have a lot of words that that may feel or sound stronger than trouble, but for the disciples and for this language, that was a very strong word. They were distraught. They were beginning to be upset. They they were getting to the point where they didn't know what they were going to do next because if you just think about it from a human and a practical standpoint, they had left everything they had. They had followed Jesus at this point for about three and a half years And they were distressed because it seemed like it was all coming to an end. They knew that Jesus had enemies. Remember, they didn't want to come back to Jerusalem because they knew that the Pharisees were trying to kill Jesus. And so for the disciples, they were at a point where their whole life was about to change. They didn't yet understand what Jesus' plans were, so they had no future plans. They didn't understand what they were supposed to do next. But in that moment, Jesus tells them to turn to their faith to receive comfort. And I think that's important for us to hear and important for us to think about as well because we're going to have troubles. Maybe not the same troubles the disciples had, but we're going to have troubles. They're going to come into our lives. And so what we have to do is look back to our faith, the things that we believe, the things that we know and take comfort in those things. There's going to be a lot of variables. There's always a lot of variables. But go back to what you know first. Let me give you a worldly example of going back to what you know. Um, I am also, uh, there's several things I do at the school, but one thing is a computer teacher. And never a, never a day passes where somebody doesn't say, my computer just broke. And, you know, that's a big deal. Like, computer's breaking, those are expensive, school's not going to replace them, so what do you do? So you could panic in a heartbeat when somebody says, my computer just broke. But if you go over there, they've either unplugged it, 
um, or they, they've got a pop-up and they don't know what to do about it, or it's always something really, really simple, but you have to rely on what you know first. You have to look and remember the things that you know. Is everything plugged in? Is everything turned on? Is everything functioning the way that it's supposed to? And then you can usually fix most of those problems that, that, that arise like that. And so life, although on a grander scale, is like that. Start with what you know. What do we know? Well, we know God loves us. We know that God has a plan. We know that Jesus said the Holy Spirit is in us, that he is with us. We know the promises that he has made for our life after this life. So even if our lives end, the, the, the really interesting thing is the men that were sitting there at that time listening to Jesus talk, many of them would face a violent death, and some of them pretty soon they would face a violent death. But yet they were going to be able to face that knowing what Jesus was saying here, and that was going to be their comfort, that was going to be their strength. So Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. So faith in the Father was understood. Um, but Jesus tells the disciples to have faith in him and trust, uh, trust in the work that he is going to do for them. They were Jews. They believed in God. That wasn't a question, and so that's the reason Jesus says it this way. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so what he's saying is the way you believe in God, you need to believe in me. The imagery of the Old Testament, or in the imagery of the, or in the, imagery of the New Testament, we have been invited to a wedding feast, and once all things are made ready, we will receive the final summons. So Jesus uses this illustration, in my Father's house are many rooms. Many of your translations may say, in my Father's house are many mansions, um, but, but rooms is probably the better translation there. And so the, the way that these wedding feasts were done is that you would receive an invitation. And, and then that was to let you know, hey, put this, put this on your calendar. You don't know the date. That's not a thing that they did, but you knew that you were invited. And so then the family goes about preparing things and getting everything together, and then they f send out a final summons when it's time to actually bring everyone in. And so that's the picture that Jesus uses is he is, you've been invited, and now he is preparing the rooms. He's preparing the place for this marriage feast. The New Testament talks about that in other places, and then he's coming back to get us. Now, what we have to realize, and, and this is another way for Christians to look at death, um, some of our rooms get ready earlier because Jesus does summon some believers home earlier than others. And so some of us, he's ready for us and others, we remain. It's not our business who goes and who remains, but some of us go and some of us stay. And so when Jesus calls us up, that is our time, whenever that might be. And so Jesus says... I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus here is not necessarily just talking about a rapture, but he's talking about the fact that he will make sure that each one of us makes that journey, that each one of us goes where he has prepared for us to go. So he tells his disciples that they know where he is going. Verse 4, and you know the way to where I'm going. Very specific the way this is translated. You know the way to where I am going. He doesn't tell them you know where I'm going. And that, would, that was what basically uh, what we have here with Thomas. He said, Lord, we don't even know where you're going, much less the, the way. He wants to know the, the where. Where is heaven? Where is the Father's house? Where do we need to go? And Jesus says, you know the way to where I am going. And what is that way? Well, that is when Jesus responds in verse 6. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So not only does Jesus use here the covenant name of God, I am, which no Jew would have used that, that wording together. They wouldn't have used that because that truly is the name of God that he gave to Moses. But he declares that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And, and so in other languages besides English, you don't have to say the. So when he says the way, the truth, the life, um, they could have had that saying without having the definite article of the in there. I know that sounds a little grammatical for such a day as this, but what that means is that he's saying, I am the way in such a way that no one else is the way. I am the truth in such a way that there is no other truth. I am the life in such a way that there is no life outside of me. So this bold statement that Jesus is making indicates that he is God in a way that, that no other thing approaches. So this is a, this is a, 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 a statement in which Jesus is, is calling himself one with God. And, and, if, and if you don't believe that in verse 6, by the end of this chapter, he said it over and over again. He and the Father are one. They are together. There is no separating the disciples don't actually have a problem with this. Now, if Jesus had said this out in public, people would have lost their minds. But the, the disciples, they were fine with that. Philip, on the other hand, does have another question. He wants to see the Father. And Jesus says, Look, I've been with you three and a half years, and you still don't know who I am? And so he begins to explain to Philip, I and the Father are one. He begins to explain to Philip that he is God. Jesus and the Father are in perfect harmony. And those that follow Jesus and obey his commands have the full power of that relationship available in their prayer lives. And so what Jesus says, and he says this over and over again, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And so for Jesus, that relationship is kind of a, it, it, it all comes together and works together at the same time. If you're loving him, you are obeying him. So think about in the last chapter, he said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. People will know that you are my disciples and that you love one another. So that is a big part of this conversation. Um, Jesus boiled down the Old Testament and the prophets and all of that into the two commandments. You know, love God and, and love your neighbor. When we see the things that Jesus teaches his disciples, he means for them to obey those commandments because they love him. Not because those are things that we have to do in order to fulfill all righteousness, but because we love Jesus, these are the things that we're going to do. Now he says that when you love me and you obey my commandments, anything you ask in my name will be granted. Why did he give the disciples that power? So that they could have really big houses, nice vehicles, and, and live exactly where they wanted to. Nope, that's not at all what he said. What he, why he gave that commandment or gave that privilege to them that they ask in Jesus' name and it be granted to them is because he said, the works that I've done, you're going to do these works and greater than these. Anything you ask in my name, you'll have it. So if we look back at the works that Jesus did, the miracles, there was always that time, either during or before, that Jesus spent some time praying he would look to the Father, he knew what needed to happen, he prayed, and then it happened. And what Jesus is telling us is that in the line of duty, as we serve him, 
as we are faithfully obeying His commandments and as we are ministering to other people, following the other commandments, loving God, loving our neighbors, when we ask God for something, that thing will happen. What we are asking God for will happen in that moment. So that power, the power that Jesus and God had in, in, in His life is the same power that will be in our life as well. Jesus knows that we're going to have trouble, but His words about faith, heaven, and prayer are given so that we will not be troubled. It's all about the way that we receive that trouble. We're going to have hard times. And that does not mean that we can't grieve when we experience loss. That does not mean that we can't, you know, look at the issues and see what's going on. We certainly don't want to pretend like nothing is happening. We look around at the world today, we know there's trouble, but we can't be troubled. We can't be moved because of the words that Jesus has taught us, the things that he has told us. Now, the next thing I believe Jesus is telling us is that we will not be alone. When you look at this promise, starting in verse 15 and 16, where he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Um, the word there is actually means to come another that comes alongside. So um, if you've ever been doing a, a really difficult, hard job, and somebody comes beside you and begins to help you, that's the picture of what the Holy Spirit is. That's exactly what that is. So let's say... Y'all would never do this, but, but, you know, groceries get to the house. I don't go buy groceries, but groceries get to the house, right? And you get as many bags as you possibly can because who wants to make two trips to the house, right? So you get as many bags as you possibly can, and you're up there, and you got milk, and you got bread, and you got eggs, and you got all these kinds of things, and you get to the door, and it doesn't work by voice command. Somebody comes alongside and opens the door and helps you. That's a picture of what the Holy Spirit is. He is the one that works alongside us and helps us, right? He is the one that is with us, guiding us and giving us direction every day. And he is living inside of us. So Jesus does not accept empty words. If we say that we love him, we must obey his commands. And when we do, the helper, the spirit of truth, he says, uh, he is sending that to guide us. The Holy Spirit is now part of the, the Christian experience of salvation. So when we think about it, in the Old Testament, people had faith in God, and there were times that God sent His Spirit to rest upon them. We see it particularly in stories like Samson. Uh, we see it in stories, uh, in the life of David. There were times that the Holy Spirit came down, but He did not reside within the Old Testament followers of God. In the New Testament, when Jesus was on the earth, He is God, and he was with his disciples, and so that's what they had. But when Jesus left, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send another like me, a helper like me, to guide you, to be with you. And so that's what he said that he's going to do, and that's what the Holy Spirit is for us. So the world doesn't love Jesus. The world doesn't obey his commands or accept God's truth. So it can't receive the Spirit. Notice, notice what he says. Even the Spirit of truth in verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. Now, we don't, we don't really have time to go into Acts and, and see this, but you may know, but in, in Acts chapter 2, when the church is gathered together praying about 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion, they're praying and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then that is their experience of salvation. And that is the continuing experience of salvation down through the years. So whether you realized what was going on, when you bowed and when you prayed and accepted Jesus as your Savior, you received the Holy Spirit. God dwells inside you. The fullness of God dwells inside of you even now. So as we come into this church 
to gather together. We didn't come to visit God. We literally brought Him with us. He lives in within us. And so when we go out of these doors, we go with God. And wherever we go, we bring God with us. Whatever we do, we do with the audience of God watching and being a part of it. Let that always be a reminder to us of how we live and what kind of world we actually, or what kind of life we actually live. So had it not been for this conversation, the disciples would have felt completely abandoned after the death of Christ. But they knew that they would see Him again and they would receive a helper. Can you imagine if Jesus was all caught up in His own feelings at that moment and He didn't tell them that when I leave, there's another coming? Just imagine. They might not have understood what the Holy Spirit was or what it was going to do in their lives, but what they knew is that He was coming. And so even that alone was enough to help them stay together and to be strong until the Holy Spirit did come. Now we are separated from the world because of our love for Jesus and obedience to the Word. We are different than the world. There are people within the church that are trying to, and I've even heard these words, be on the cutting edge of culture. We don't need to be that. We serve an eternal God. We serve a Savior that lived 2,000 years ago. The words in this book were all written a little more than 1,900 years ago. It was all done. We don't need to be on the cutting edge of anything. In fact, we don't sing this song all that often, but that old-time religion, maybe we need to go back to that old-time religion. Not the, the current culture. Not what this world elevates and what it lifts up. And let me tell you, the world's not creative. What they are doing now, they have done in other forms throughout all the generations. It's always been this way. And we are always separate. We are always different from them. We will always be reviled and hated. We will always be separate because the truth is we are not like them. We are like our Father and we ought to be like our Father. We are blessed. They are cursed. We are included. They are excluded. We are preserved. They are left for destruction. Now that sounds awful, doesn't it? That sounds awful to even say that sentence. But it's true. But hopefully we can follow it up with this sentence. Faithful obedience... And the teaching of the Holy Spirit separate us from the world, but they also call us to the world's rescue. Because here is the bottom line about Jesus and His words. They were not secrets whispered in our ears never to be repeated. Jesus told us to go out and be His witnesses, to declare what we had seen, what we had heard, what we knew to be true. He has called us to that. So, Those of us who are being saved will be led by the Spirit to warn and encourage those who are lost. Nowadays, people are so sensitive that if we went out and actually warned them, if you keep going the way that you're going, you're going towards destruction, it would hurt their feelings. They would have to go find their safe place. But they need to hear that. They need to hear that Jesus will return. And when He does, just like the Bible says, He is going to separate he is going to divide. Those that have followed Him are going to him with, going with Him to eternity. Those who have rejected Him are going to eternal condemnation. People need to be warned that that is real. So much is said nowadays, but not the truth of Jesus, and it needs to be. And one more thing about this. Remember, 
there are many rooms in the Father's house. And He will be honored by a full house. There are people, just imagine that Jesus is preparing their room right now. And it's you that's going to share the gospel with them. Think about that. God has planned these things out. Jesus may be preparing the room for someone that you will witness to before the end of your life. And I want to challenge you to look for that person and to share Jesus with that person. So starting in verse 27, Jesus says He's going to give the disciples His peace. And this is so important. We have peace because we know that the words of Jesus are true. Jesus was about to face crucifixion. He had trouble in his life, but he also had peace. And he had peace because he trusted God, he trusted God's plan. There will be trouble and the world will hate us, but we are loved by Jesus and he has given us the same peace that he had as he approached the cross. Jesus was not carefree. Jesus wasn't ignoring what was going on in his life. He simply trusted God more than, 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 than anything else that was going on. We've got to trust God and turn away from fear and believe in Him. That is the truth that Jesus is teaching us here, is that He is saying these words, these truths, these promises, this Holy Spirit will give you comfort so that you don't have to worry and, and, and live in fear over the things that are going on in the world. So although danger and heartache lie ahead, we know that Jesus is coming for us someday. We know that. We know that He's coming back. He said that He's coming back. He says, I'm coming back to get you. We should never grow complacent because the days are short and there is much work to be done. We've all been under some kind of time crunch before. And it is hard because Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years. It's hard to say we're in a time crunch because Jesus might be coming back at any moment, but He may be. We need to recognize the days are short. And those that, that need to hear the gospel, they may need to hear it from us. God may be calling you individually, me individually, to share the gospel with someone. So if we busy ourselves loving Jesus and obeying His commands, we will not have time to become troubled or to be afraid. I believe that it is time for Christians to come out of their fear, to come out of this place where we are afraid that if we say the wrong thing, we're going to offend somebody, or if we speak the truth that the Bible declares that, that we're going to be you know, canceled or, or kicked out of society, so be it if we're kicked out of society. So be it if they cancel us. So be it if we don't have the friends that we used to have. The truth needs to be declared. The truth needs to be declared whether the world wants to hear it or not. We have to be that brave and that bold. Not on our own strength, but on the strength of God. So to wrap this up, just very quickly, there is no doubt that Jesus was sent by God to give us life and to show us the way to Him. Jesus says, I am the way. There is no other way. There is nobody that can be the way or even bring us to the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He was on this earth for one generation, but since then, we have had the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us the ways of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit worked in those disciples to remind them of everything Jesus said. They recorded that. The Holy Spirit also worked within the disciples and the apostles to give us teaching. And so that's the rest of the New Testament for us. Even in John, late in his life, the Holy Spirit worked in him to tell us about the end times. That's the revelation. Now the Holy Spirit is in us, preserving us, leading us and guiding us until that day that Jesus comes back to get us. And we need to remember that. We have peace because of the examples and promises of Jesus, even though this world is full of trouble. 
We don't have peace because we're ignoring problems. We don't have peace because we're making up our own answers or our own solutions, which believers are doing. We have peace because we trust in the Word of God and we believe in His promises and we will not doubt those promises. Take comfort that the Lord is with you and that He is returning to gather us home. That is true for all of us. The Lord is with us. You may say, well, you know, it doesn't feel like it. Can you imagine not having God? Not having Him with you? Not giving you the strength that you have? If you are making it, it is because of God. If you are living above fear, if you are living in faith, it is because of God. And so, Jesus said these words to His disciples who were beginning to be afraid, beginning to be troubled. If we just let ourselves look into the world and we start listening to all the things that are going on, we could be afraid very quickly. But what I want to tell you is that we don't have to live that way. We can live in comfort. We can live in peace. We can live in security because God is with us and Jesus promised us that He would always be with us. He promised us that He has provided the way to the Father. That way may lead us through trouble, but we know that we will get through that trouble to get to the Father. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much just for this time to gather together. I thank You for the promises that Jesus made. And we barely scratched the surface on the things that, that He actually said to us in that passage. There is no way... There is no name, there is no person, there is no message but Jesus Himself that can bring us to You. And I pray that You remind us of that. And Father, we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to doubt. We should not allow worry to occupy our mind or our time. We should focus on You. I pray that You hold us to that. And Father, as we do look out at this world, we do see the trouble that's there and we know there are a lot of people that are caught up in fear and trouble. Your Word is the answer for that. Out of love, I pray that You motivate us to share the Gospel with those who are struggling, with those who need to hear it, with those who without You will perish. I pray that we can be Your faithful witnesses. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.